Welcome to episode 5 of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. For those people who love to travel, and those who love having a cold beer wherever they are in the world, this is the perfect place for you. Our guest today is Brian Burton, one of the owners of the Hop and Sting Brewing Company in Grapevine, Texas. After spending over 12 years and 2,000 days at sea as a marine biologist in Alaska, Brian made the move to Texas in 2014 and started a new career as a brewer. Within just a few years, he would build up his skills and along with a couple of partners, be one of the lucky people who gets to launch his very own brewery. Hop and Sting was born. Throughout his life, Brian has spent plenty of time traveling the world, so he fits perfectly with both our travel and beer topics. In this episode, we'll talk a bit about Brian's background, how Hop and Sting came to be, the unusual takeaway rules for breweries in Texas, and even get into some of Brian's favorite places to travel and have a beer. Before we get started today, though, I just want to take a moment to share some excitement. We recently passed 200 downloads of our show, and although that number doesn't seem too high, three months ago we were at zero downloads and didn't even have our own site up yet. We are only going to keep growing from here, and I just want to say thank you to those of you who have been listening since the beginning. Now it's time to get into the good stuff. So sit back, relax, maybe crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy my conversation with Brian Burton of Hop and Sting Brewing Company. We're here today with Brian Burton of the Hop and Sting Brewing Company in Grapevine, Texas, and welcome to the show. Good to be here. We're going to get started talking a little bit about this brewery. It's uh, a little bit of a unique situation in that you share the space with somebody else. Is that correct? Well, sort of. We, we lease out space to other breweries who uh, either up-and-coming breweries or need space, but this is our facility. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as we get going here. But let's start out with, uh, how did you get into brewing? How did you become a brewer? Uh, I got into brewing because uh, once upon a time, I was a fisheries biologist working on commercial fishing vessels in Alaska. And as I was getting older, I realized that I didn't want to do that forever. Uh, you know, being at sea for eight, nine months out of the year does not do well for your social life, especially as you get older. So I, I kind of also makes you want to have a beer every now and then. That's, and I and I've, I've probably drink more more Alaskan beer than you know any probably in the entire state of Texas combined. So, <laughs> but to make a long story short, you know, I was kind of looking for something else to do, kind of as I retire from from Alaska, and then uh, uh, there. I'm originally from Ohio, and I had bought a house in Ohio at the time, and was looking at some of the breweries there, such as you know Columbus Brewing Company, North High. Uh, Where in Ohio did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in the Dayton area, but uh, the house that I that I own is in Columbus. Oh, okay. And I got I got family up there still, so, uh, so that was where I was going to settle. And and then of course I ended up falling in love, uh, got myself engaged, and she lived down here in Dallas at the time, and. She, you know, finally dropped the ultimatum, you know, either I, you know, quit the boats and come down here uh, or, or we were through. And I'm like, all right, I guess it's a good time as any to make the move. So I ended up coming down here, uh, kind of completely threw away that lifestyle and, you know, came here and kind of struggled to find work for a long time. And but eventually she sent my resume out to, you know, pretty much all the breweries because she knew this is something I was dabbling in. 
Yeah, there's uh, not, probably not a lot of marine biology work in the center of Texas here. Not too, not too many. Uh, so, uh, so she did that, and uh, eventually I got a call from uh, the former owners of this facility, Great Minecraft Brewery. Uh, they were looking for some part-time help, and I, I just immediately jumped on it because I, I knew I need, didn't know squat about you know production brewing, and thought I'd you know give it a shot. Plus, yeah, I needed the job and wanted to get into it. Yeah, and uh, at that point, I you know I I did it, and I kept moving up, kept learning. Of course, that engagement didn't work out, and she's now in Louisiana, and I've you know moved on to bigger and better things, and. And eventually, you know, I, I, I fell in love with the industry and decided to stay. Excellent. I should mention, as we're talking here, you may hear a little bit of background noise. You guys are currently canning. A fork truck just went by and mm -hmm. uh, beeped a little bit. You may have heard that in the background. But uh, like we always say here on Miles and Pints, there's, it's working breweries that we're yeah, in. Sometimes absolutely. it's a tap room. There's always going to be a little background noise. But again, thank you for taking time out of your canning to uh, chat with me today. Absolutely. So that, that got into how you became a brewer. Let's talk a little bit then about how this brewery came to be, because you had mentioned that you, you started working for Grapevine and you got more and more into the industry. At what point did you decide to take the step or at what point did you guys form this brewery and, and start doing something on your own? Yeah, well, it kind of goes back to uh, when I first started at, at Grapevine Craft Brewery and it, it was a relatively new brewery but they were growing very fast. I think at, with the, within its first year, it was ranked uh, as the 10th fastest growing brewery in the country. Wow. Uh, and when I was hired, I, that's where I met John. You know, John had uh, just graduated from uh, brewing school. I think it's um, American Brewers Guild. Okay. And um, he's been home brewing for, for years. And but yeah, so I, I started working with him and we, we became good friends. Uh, we both had a uh, kind of a common background that we just loved working. You know, I, I, yeah, he actually had a, a lot of you know, influence on why I was hired in the first place because on my resume, it uh, you know, said I worked on commercial fishing vessels. And you know, John, in his very short time in the industry, he knew that you know, the work in a brewery is not very comfortable. Yeah, it's, it gets, it's not, it's it gets not for everybody. hot and sweaty and yeah. miserable sometimes. Yeah, so, so with my science background, the fact that, you know, I, I worked in, you know, crazy, weird, difficult places that he figured, yeah, this guy's perfect for this, this line of work. So you, you kind of got to be a, a, a different sort of person. What uh, fun saying up in Alaska was, uh, is, you know, people go up there because they're in, and do those jobs because they're psychologically incapable of any other kind of profession. And I kind of felt that, you know, brewing was the same thing and John kind of had the same kind of mindset. Uh, but anyhow, so, um, so we worked together and we, we, uh, we kind of came into it with that, the, the usual uh, passion that every new brewer has when they first get a job at a brewery. It's like, you know, I want to do this. I want to, I, I get them this to be creative. I, I want to make the best beer that, you know, that we can possibly make. Uh, you know, quality is, you know, number one. Yeah, you want yours to be the most delicious and bring in the most customers. Absolutely. And then hopefully the, so that you can make money doing it. But. Yeah. yeah, and then the reality kind of hit us that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a business first. Yeah. Because if you I mean, so there was a lot of corners being cut, we were, we were noticing, uh, and as much as we tried to, you know, fight it and, you know, do our best to kind of, you know, put some influence forward, you know, we just weren't being listened to. Granted, we, we, were, we were kind of the new guys, but, you know, I, I, but even the head brewer at the t who was working there who had, you know, 20 plus years at places like Boulevard and 
uh, various brew pubs, you know, I mean, he was kind of getting shut down on a lot of things. So it was just like, okay, this is not what we signed up for. And eventually, you know, John got tired of it. He left. Uh, and actually, it, we, he left right after we won a gold medal at Great American Beer Festival. And then as he left, um, I ended up, you know, stepping up and, you know, taking over for him. And, but we eventually kind of kept in touch. And, you know, we, as, as we both kept growing in the industry, we, we kept kind of had that mindset. We, we felt that we could do it better. Okay. Uh, and then over time, we just kept getting together and talking about it and then kind of complaining about our circumstances or who it was we were working for at the time uh, or how other brewers were doing it. And that was, we realized that, you know, we might as well just put our money where our mouth is because if we, you know, the only way we're going to be happy in this industry is if we do it ourselves. Yeah, and if you don't give it a shot, it's not going to get better. Yeah. So uh, we were able to, um, we just kind of on a whim went and, Filed for a LLC, and that was the first step. You know, you know, pick the name. Which is by far the easiest part of the process. Yeah, and then uh, we started kind of, you know, talking to friends and family, just you know, see if we can get a little bit of seed money together. We were able to get, you know, just enough to kind of, you know, get you know, get our permits paid for, and uh, you know, get some basic branding paid for, and you know, we and, and then that's it. We decided to start Hop and Sting Brewing Company. And when was that? Gosh, I think it's been, uh, I can't remember anymore. It's, uh, I think at least it's been over three years since we kind of got the ball rolling. And when you made that decision, when you filed the LLC, how long was it from that point until you actually were brewing and serving beer? Quite a while. Uh, because, the, you know, starting a brewery is, has very little to do about brewing. Uh, it's, um, there's a lot of, a lot of, hurdles to jump over and it's this and are those more permitting and so and so legal kind of stuff or is it more that's facilities it, both so you know the permits take time like just a ttb so ttb is your uh, your federal permit that's usually the one of the first things you apply for uh that takes you know you know at least six months oftentimes and then you got to do your state permit your tabc permit and, and, and sometimes that can take another six months. Yeah, a lot of people try to do them at the same time and you, you don't always need one before the other. Uh, so I mean, it's, I mean, that's a six month process. Well, we also need a facility. So you know, do, we, do we buy one or do we build one from scratch? So the original plan was to build one from scratch. So we went through the whole process of you know, meeting with the, uh, so we we're originally gonna be in the city of Denton, which is about you know, about 45 minute drive north of here. It's uh, it was college town, uh, very craft beer centric, really cool vibe there. We had a property, you know, uh, a John's current wife, she was his fiance at the time, but wife now. So her uncle owned a property and you know, it was gonna be, we we're gonna go in there, we we're gonna, you know, put you know, a few hundred thousand dollars into fixing it up. You know, he was gonna put in some money. He was even gonna be a partner. So we went through the process of, you know, talking to the city, what, what do we do for, need to do for, you know, kind of getting the ball rolling with fixing up this whole property, putting a brewery in there. And I mean, uh, I think the whole process of, you know, talking to the city and then meeting with an architect and then, you know, getting all the construction documents and kind of to figure and at, th at that point, you're actually having your architect talk with the city because there's zoning, there's codes. I mean, we actually had a situation where like we were literally, I think like five feet away from like the, the limit of the nearest um, 
fire hydrant. And the city was going to, you know, make us pay for a brand new fire hydrant on our block. Five we, feet closer. Yeah. yeah. So it's just that like, makes sense. Yeah. And, he, and that was going to be like, I think, fifty to $75,000. Wow. And it's just like, we weren't expecting that. Yeah, little things like that. And, and different like, can cities I, can, can I just make buy things. you a new hose? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a five foot longer hose, an yeah. extension, maybe. Yeah. Cities can make it tough. I know around where I live, the, the city of Falls Church is a lot easier than Fairfax County. Fairfax County makes it, I don't think they purposefully make it very difficult, but getting the permits takes forever. And I, I know of several small breweries near me that originally were going to be in Fairfax County and didn't end up there because they just couldn't get things done. Yeah. Or those that did open up there ended up a year, a year and a half past when they planned on. Yeah, and for us with this, so I guess, I guess the guy would be John's uncle-in-law. Uh, he, there was a falling, we had a falling out. There were some personal issues involved there. So we just had to just back off from that property and we had to start over from square one. Uh, and then at that point, we, we looked at another city in the area and we, we had connections there. We had a friend of ours who worked on the uh, economic development board. And, you know, she had these, you know, some properties we're going to look at. There was, you know, even some uh, incentive money for those properties because, you know, they wanted to get their downtown corridor upgraded. Yeah. And so, you know, so we were, of course, we had to start over from square one. We had to get a new architect. We had to get, you know, uh, you know, go back and get new uh, permits. And, you know, also someone who knows those local yeah, codes. We had to meet and, with, and we had to meet with the city about, uh, you know, okay, are we eligible for this, this, uh, this grant, this funding, and you know, are we close enough to a fire hydrant? Yeah, well, although luckily we actually had the same issue, but the we the fire chief was in that meeting, and he's like, well, you know, we we know that's expensive, so if you just install a sprinkler system in your your facility, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. That's much cheaper. I think it's like was like five thousand dollars to put a sprinkler yeah, system versus in versus fifty or seventy. And we probably would have done that anyways. But anyhow, uh, but of course, you know, we the landlord we were working with, you know. We ended up having a falling out to make a long story short, and we had to abandon that property. And uh, so we just, just dealing with landlords or potential landlords and then these, the permit process and like, it was just, just months out of our lives. And then- And were you guys homebrewing at that point? Were you we were making, tinkering with recipes? Were you doing small batch stuff? Yes, we were doing, uh, you know, uh, 10, 15 gallon batches in our, we had a little pilot system at John's parents' barns in uh, this town, next town over called South Lake. And uh, so we, we brewed out of there and like probably at least, at least once a month, we brewed a batch of beer and just to kind of keep fiddling, fiddling around and you know, playing around yeah. with ideas. So in a way the delay is kind of good because you get to fine tune some of those recipes. And uh, you're, you're almost ready not, for launch, but at the same time you, you want to be fully up and running and have people tasting your beer rather than just you and your friends. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know if that was so much of a, a benefit as just kind of something that we just, you know, we're we just had to do. Uh, uh, but anyhow, yeah, but we just had we had, kept having to start over, and I think we we had like three or four different properties that you know we we've been looking at, and this never happened. So eventually, we're, we almost gave up because you know John had a good job at at Rar and Sons, and uh, I had it, you know the. I was at another brewery called Four Corners at the time, and you know they were, you know, they, they liked me, they wanted to keep me, and they were getting ready to build a brand new facility. Um, and they eventually got bought by uh, Constellation Brands, so I mean they were going to need, you know, the, the experienced staff. But you know, 
So there was potential, like we could have easily just given up and had really good brewing jobs, you know, for the rest of our lives. Um, but yeah, but then, you know. But there was still that, that fire to have your own place yeah. and so be we, in control. Yeah, so we took one more shot and we had a friend of ours who owns a brewery who, that used to be the old facility for Grapevine Craft Brewery where we all met and first started working. It's now called Three Nations Brewing Company and Farmer's Branch. Uh, a good friend of ours is Gavin Secchi. Uh, he's been a, a brewer for a long time around here, and he, he kind of was like us. He was, you know, bounced around from, you know, different breweries, and, but, you know, had that itch to do his own thing and was able to make it work. So he kind of, kind of, I guess he kind of felt, you know, that commonality with us in that regard, and so he offered us some space at his, at his facility. So he had a 30-barrel tank that he wasn't using, let us brew into it, and, you know, that was our first batch of beer, Galactic Haze. Uh, so at that point, you know, it, we realized it was much easier for us to kind of, you know, if we, if we didn't waste the time trying to have our own facility, we could have just started day one, you know, went to a, what we call an alternating proprietorship with another brewery and just start brewing beer. Granted, there's not a whole lot of, you know, uh, return on investment because, I mean, your, your margins on yeah, and stuff like Yeah, you're for that space. It, yeah, are very small, but at least, percentage at least was able to help us get our name out, you know, get our market share. And then at that point, we probably could have, you know, it would have been much easier for us to find a spot because we would have had we would have been a known entity. We probably could have gotten more investors, and you know, it would have been much easier. Um, and so, how long did you do that before you moved into the facility that we're currently at? Uh, we did that for three months, and then I think after I think after the second month, Three Nations was starting to pick up, uh, and they realized they needed that tank back, and uh, or at the very least, they we weren't going to be able to use it as often. Uh, so at that point, we still didn't have a, a place yet. Kind of like when your landlord decides to sell the house you're renting and you got to find a new place only yep. with beer tanks. Yeah, so we started kind of, you know, talking to some other breweries about the potential of doing the same thing. And we actually went back to our old employers at Grapevine Craft Brewery and because uh, they were kind of going on a downturn. They had some tough times. And, and even after I left, you know, I, I would come back and help them out on a part-time basis. And uh, so when I, we were looking for a new spot, you know, of course, this facility, they... They did a lot of contract brewing and alternating proprietorships, so they, they had that experience. They already had a, a price plan, and you know, so we were going to do that. And at, and at that point, they were getting ready to uh, lay off a lot of their brew, brew staff, and so they, they needed a new brew staff to brew their beer or, or what beer they were going to brew for their tap room. And they all, we, we kind of worked out a deal to where we were going to, you know, kind of help them brew their beer, at least keep their tap room operational while they kind of figured out where they wanted to go, if they were going to sell or if they were going to, um, you know, become a brew pub or, or whatever. And then we'd just utilize the tank space until they told us to leave. And, um, but over time, you know, they, they, they kept, you know, talking to us about maybe that, you know, we, they'd buy into us and we'd kind of, uh, you know, be a brand under their heading to kind of give them something new and exciting to, to be part of. And, or maybe they were going to just sell the whole thing and they'd just give us commission on selling the equipment. So there, there was all these ideas going around. And eventually they were just like, why don't you guys just buy the place? You know, like they basically, like, they said like, you know, how much, how much money you got kind of deal. And, um, or, and then- How we, much we, is in your wallet? Yeah. We'll take it? That kind uh, of yeah, but there, were, there was some financing. They basically were able to take the debt uh, or the, their ownership, turn it into a, like a debt and as if, so basically they, made, they gave us a loan you know, they're, they're the bank. Uh, yeah. So we're, you know, so we, we, we took over ownership and we just 
pay the, and actually it was just one of their investors that he bought all of his other investors out. Uh, so pretty much the entire ownership was out of the picture at that point. And when, so the one guy became the bank, we bought it from him, and now we just we pay him back just like we pay a bank. Now do they still exist at all? Or no, Grapevine Craft Brewery as, a, as an entity, it no longer exists. All right, so if you want their beers, too bad you missed out. But we, we, we still you, do make a couple of their beers, and we, and we actually own the... Okay, so you the, took over a couple we, of their lines. We actually we own all their brands, all their lines. We own, we, own all, we own all their branding, all their recipes, and so if we ever wanted to bring them back, we could. Okay, so if you really want a grapevine beer that you used to love, come harass these guys here until they make it again. Yeah, so we, we, actually, <laughs> yeah, we actually still have Sir Williams Brown Nail, the, 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 the two-time Great American Beer Festival medalist or medal winner. Uh, we still have that on tap, and, it, and when John and I used to brew it, we were there when it won the gold. So, uh, uh, so, we so you think, have some experience with that one. Yeah, so we, and it, we, we like to think it's, it's just as good as the batch that, that won. So if you, if you like English style brown ales, we have, we have a pretty good one. Oh, excellent. So that's a tip for our listeners to uh, stop in and try that one when they're here. Okay, so let's switch a little bit. I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the small brewery and the area you're in and how you fit in in this area. And this can be with, with the name of the brewery, it can be with the beers you serve. Why should people in the Dallas area where there are a ton of local breweries come and see you guys here? Well, um, I think one thing that uh, serves us well is for the, uh, the North Texas uh, DFW Metroplex, I guess they, what they call it, is we're centrally located. You know, we're pretty much equidistance from Fort Worth, Dallas, and Denton, which are, I guess, the big, the big three. And I should point out, you guys are uh, 10 minutes or less from DFW, so for all my travel listeners out there, if you have a layover, this might be a good place to spend it rather than sitting in an, a, a chair at the airport. Absolutely, and we are the first stop on the train leaving the airport going towards Fort Worth. Oh, so, perfect. Yes, yeah, so, and we're a block from the train station. So easy and close. So, that, so, that's, so, that's, so that's a good reason. So anybody who's in the DFW area or coming to the DFW area, we're, you know, and you're, you're flying in or out. If you want to you know, stop in for a beer instead of having to wait, you, you can stop here and, you know, have a pint or two and then hop on the train or get an Uber ride and you'll be at the airport and in, you know, less than 10 or 20 minutes. That's perfect. Uh, other than that, we, uh, we, we probably have, we have a, a very good variety of styles. So you go to a lot of breweries, you, you might have quite a few breweries that might just have, you know, more standard beers, beers, excuse me, um, like your just basic blondes, lagers, pale ales and reds. Uh, nothing crazy or experimental, but then you might have breweries that only do, you know, big IPAs or big stouts. Yeah. Um, or I, was, or I won't say the place. I was in a, a place in Brooklyn, and they had, I think, 25 or 30 beers on tap, and I think 33 of them were hazy IPAs. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it was just with different hops or different yeah. this or this one was dry hopped and this one was not dry hopped. And I was like, I mean, it's great that you have this variety-ish, but mm -hmm. I want to try some other beers Absolutely. too. And, and yeah, you might, or there might be a brewery that only does sour beers or something like that. So, but if you go to one of these, to a brewery with like your friends and family and you may be the biggest hop head in the world or you may, or lover of stouts or sours and, and you want to go to that brewery for those particular beers, but your friends and family, like you might have your dad with you who only drinks Coors Light, then he's not gonna enjoy himself. 
So we have, we have the hazy IPAs here, we have big stouts, we have uh, bourbon barrel stouts, but we also have, uh, we have lagers, we have wheat beers, we have red ale. So we have the basic stuff, we have the, you know, the, the crafty stuff. Uh, we even have a, a kettle sour on. So we, I mean, we got a little bit of something for everybody. Uh, we're probably not gonna make everybody happy, but I think we're gonna, you know, we got a pretty good, good enough variety where if you love craft beer and you wanna you know, introduce your friends and family to craft beer, I think we're a good place for that. Uh, we've got a, you know, a great uh, beer garden, you know, uh, great space. Uh, we have a, a good variety of uh, food trucks coming in and out. Um, yeah, it's my first time here and I walked in, you guys said uh, just wander in the back door when you get here because obviously you're not open at this point, you're canning beers and I walked in and I was immediately impressed with the, the size of the fermenters and the size of the facility and now learning that you guys purchased it from another operating brewery, that yes. makes sense. This and would be ambitious to start with something this big Very if you were just starting. But the, the tap room is a, a cool little intimate space. There's a beer garden outside, which is great in Texas because it's warm here most of the time. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool little facility. I, I wish I had the opportunity to be here when you're open and maybe I'll try and sneak back tomorrow before my flight. I don't fly out until late tomorrow. So maybe I'll try and sneak back and see what it's there like, you with, go. Yeah, like I said, with people in here you, other you, than you, you and gotta, me. You gotta go back to the airport at some point. But yeah, we all, but we're also, you know, we're, we're family friendly, kid friendly, dog friendly. So, I mean, so you can bring any member of your family, uh, even the four-legged ones here, and, and, and they'll, they'll be welcomed. Yeah, and there are a couple of dogs. One met me in the parking lot when I got out of my Uber <laughs> today. Yeah. Came out and said Dixon. hello, and yep, yep, and has been under the table here getting uh, a couple of scratches and pets as we chatted. But I think the best part of our, I guess, our connection to the community the, in the DFW area is our uh, commitment to uh, service and, and helping those in need around the area and we currently have uh, well, we from day one since we opened this tap room we've had at least one charity beer on our tap at any given time and uh and as of now we've kind of you know over this almost nearly year that we've owned this facility we've added more charity taps and we currently have four charity taps where 50 cents of every i would say pint but i guess serving a beer because they're not all technically pints but 50 yeah. cents of a glass of beer goes to that particular charity. And, uh, and I think we're on pace in our first year to have donated between ten dollars and $15,000 over 1% of our total revenue. Not profit, total revenue has gone to charities in the area. And that's amazing to be starting out and be a small business and already giving that much back to community. And I, I assume as you grow, that will grow too. And it's, it's gonna be great for the community here and and is this North Dallas? Is this uh, Central Dallas? I, I guess Central. Cent technically, it's Grapevine, so it's. I guess it would be Central DFW. I guess Central uh, but Central DFW. But it, it'll be great for this community and for for the other businesses here. As you grow, it's going to help the community more. Mm -hmm. So, it's I guess kind of people should come in here and have a beer, and they'll be helping. So yeah. that's another good reason to have a beer, other than it's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. We help. We help. We have animal rescues that they go to. We have uh, firefighters that we help. We have currently Miracle League, which is a uh, bas baseball league for uh, disabled uh, teenagers. And then we have a rotator, which is a new one every month. Yeah, so you didn't pick any good causes there, right? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some great groups that you guys are giving back to, and it's, it's wonderful to see that in a place that's only been around for a little while. You mentioned that you have something for everyone, that you have a, a wide variety of beers on tap. How many beers do you guys typically have on tap or how many different types of beer do you brew? 
We have normally 13 beers on tap, the completely different varieties. We have four unique IPAs uh, within that list. Uh, and we do have a few that, uh, taps that rotate, so there's, they will be different usually every month. Okay, and of the four IPAs, you have a hazy IPA. I didn't catch the name of it. What is it that I'm drinking hop, here? Hop to be square. Hop to be square. It's our little homage to Huey Lewis and the News. We're big fans. Nice. Uh, that reminds me of uh, Back to the Future immediately. <laughs> so that's, I, I was immediately impressed. I've spent a lot of time in New England. I, I went to school up there. I have a lot of friends up there. I've had uh, a serious number of hazy IPAs. And my first reaction was it's creamy, it's delicious, it's hoppy, it's, it's just what it should be. And we talked a little bit about how you condition the water and you, you don't just take the the stock water, but you uh, add things in to make the water more like what they're using to brew in New England or more like what they're using to make those IPAs. And that's how you guys have succeeded in making something that mirrors that style so well. And I think that's something that people don't think about a lot is they just figure water is water, but it is so very important in the brewing process for the certain styles of beer you just can't make if your water doesn't have the right chemical makeup or the right yeah, it's like 90-some percent of our, our recipe. Yeah. So it's gotta, you got to get it right. <laughs> yeah, it's the, definitely the biggest ingredient. So I mentioned before that you guys are currently canning. Well, you're not currently canning. You're sitting here with me, so I guess you get a little bit of a break. Uh, but you guys are currently canning beers, so obviously you do that. Do you bottle it all? We, we haven't bottled yet, but we do have uh, a gravity filler, uh, a, a five-nozzle gravity filler that we can do... Uh, uh, bottle condition beers, okay. uh, and we just, we do have we have a, about a half a pallet each of 750s, and I forget the other volume. But we have two different size bomber bottles, so if we I mean we we have the ability to do them like right away. It's just a matter of us yeah, just having the time and that. and figuring out which ones we want to do it with. So how many of your beers do you guys currently can? Uh, we have five different brands that we can currently uh, of our beers. Okay, and you, judging by the number of cans I saw out there, you guys don't sell those all in-house, right? You distribute We, we to... sell zero cans in-house. Uh, we can't sell any beer to go off-site in, 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 in this state. Uh, as so you can't do growlers either? We can't do growlers, cans, or bottles to go from this facility. So, so all those cans are going off-site somewhere? Absolutely. But in the state of Texas, uh, production breweries cannot sell beer to go. So no growlers, no cans, no bottles, no kegs, no nothing. Now, it, it's weird, and we, got, it, it's, we have a weird set of beer laws, and it's, there's two different types of breweries. It's a brew pub and a production brewery. According to the, the, the state, there's really no difference with how those breweries are going to be set up or how they look. I mean, you don't have to sell food, but, you know, it's, there is like, they put ceilings of like 10,000 barrels, and then unlimited, both can have tap rooms, but the, the one with the, that, I guess, the, the higher barrel limit. Becomes it, a production brewery. Production brewery, and they can't sell anything to go. Now, and the reason why we don't have a brew, you might ask, why don't you be a brew pub since you're not making that much beer? Well, A, we have a large facility that, you know, for us to, you know, make it work, I mean, we got, we got to have another brewery here that's going to, to, to fill our big tanks. So that's why we have Manhattan Project here. But even then, like we're still not produ producing that 10,000 barrel limit that a brew pub has. But the, the state says that a brew pub can't contract brew, so they can, or have an alternative proprietorship with so, someone else. So it's 
So, uh, you, so when you bring in that other yeah, we brewery can, and let them use some of this gigantic ab equipment that you have, absolutely, and then you rule out brew pub. And then all, on top of that, local municipalities like cities and counties have their own laws that if you so you, have you heard of the three-tier system? Is, is that big in, uh, in Virginia? No. So a three-tier system is an archaic uh, post-prohibition law that kind of keeps a separation between you know, manufacturers, wholesalers, distributors, and retailers. So, and Texas is still married to that system and it's very strict. So another difference between breweries and brew pubs on the state level is that breweries are in that manufacturing tiers and brew pubs are in the retail tier. So they can't you know, do really do business together on a, on a brewing aspect. So, um, and so, but on that retail tier for a brew pub, a, a city like the city of Grapevine says, I must make 51% revenue via food. And as you can imagine, that would be a lot of food. Yeah, that's not what you're looking to yeah. do. <laughs> if you're making 51% via food, you're probably not too successful in the brewing. No. Because uh, that, that's what you're hoping is bringing people in. Either that or you're very successful brewing and you're, you're, you're just... You make some really good food. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it's, so it's, it's overly complicated. And so we're actually, there's actually a vote today uh, to, to kind of make some changes uh, in the state. So we got our fingers crossed that it might happen. So you can't sell any beers to go here. You guys are putting a ton of beer in cans. Where does that go? Does that go to independent shops? Does that go to, I don't even know in Texas. Do you guys have state they're, stores? Do you have, where, do, where can you no, buy they're, beer they're, in they're, Texas? They're all, uh, I'm, at least I'm pretty sure they're all independent stores, but you know, just some of them are, are corporate. So like your, uh, your grocery stores, your. And do you guys distribute yourself or do you have a contract with a distributor we, who so sets in, up those contracts in, for you? In, uh, in North Texas or like the DFW and the surrounding areas, we are self-distributed, but we do have a distributor relationship in San Antonio and parts of Austin. Okay. So you can get your beers. Uh, I mean, it's not super far away, but a, a decent yeah. ways away from your brewery because they won't let you sell them here. Yeah. Which so is, it, Again, you said archaic laws, and there are so many of those relating to alcohol we, and breweries the, throughout the, the U.S. Yeah, Texas is the only state in the union, though, that a manufacturing brewery cannot sell beer to go. And it's frustrating because, you know, the distributors who are, uh, are fighting this or who, who want the laws to stay the same, they're more than happy to go sign a, an agreement to bring in these other breweries who get the benefit from selling beer to go in their states to compete with Texas breweries, which is, you know, kind of, you know, a little kind of, bit of a smack in the face to their fellow Texas businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have to say, I had no idea that that was the law here in Texas. Well, and hopefully it changes. I, this is probably the first brewery I've been to where I wouldn't be able to fill a growler. Yeah. And that's, although having filled a lot of growlers in my time, it's exciting for your staff because they're a pain and you have <laughs> to kind of let it flow over and it's a mess. True. And, but it would be nice to be able to sell them. So it, hopefully, it, it would be. But, hopefully, uh, they'll make some changes there. But there are there some. And, there are some very, very nice uh, brew pubs in the area that are allowed to sell beer to go. That that I'll be happy to recommend to you after the fact and uh, why you spend your time here in Texas. So yeah, if you, I mean, if you wanted to recommend a couple to listeners, we can put some uh, notes at the end of the show. Is there anywhere that you would recommend oh, that has your beers or has? has great craft beers here in the area? Oh, well, well, for the local brew pubs who can sell their own beer to go, I mean, uh, we, our neighbors down the street, Turning Point, uh, they're great, if you, especially if you're uh, uh, really into hazy IPAs. Uh, another 
Dallas Brewery, that's into uh, those styles as well as Celestial. Uh, both breweries are well known in the area and very do an extraordinary job on the styles. And then there's uh, some friends of ours that we actually helped them uh, start their facility, John and I, uh, Union Bear Brew Pub in Plano. So they, they're a little bit different. They, so they make their own beer, but they can also sell other people's beers. Uh, so, uh, so, but they do have uh, uh, to go, you can, take, you can buy their beer to go, but you can also enjoy uh, guest beers from us or other breweries uh, around Texas and around the country. All right, great. We'll make sure we get those linked up so that uh, people can find them if they're visiting the area and you guys don't happen to be open or they can't make it here, then mm. they can try out one of those other options too. But we're always open, so seven <laughs> days a week. So I guess what the next question is, what is coming up next? What's in the fermenters now? Is there a new style that's about to come out that people should be getting excited about? Or are you brewing up some of your standard beers that people can't get enough of? Well, I just kegged a, uh, a new pilot batch for, I guess you would call it a, a session hazy IPA. Uh, it's a five and a half percent. I think it's probably going to be about only about 130 calories. So, you know, the, it's getting beach season. Yeah, so, one of those uh, great beers you can start day drinking in the morning yeah, so, and keep so, going. So if you like a good hoppy, hazy IPA, and, but you don't want to consume, you know, 300 calories, you know, it's a, it might be a good option for you. But we uh, just kegged it off. It's, a, it's still a work in progress, but it, it's, it's got some legs to it. We just have a, a, an account just picked it up, uh, the, the Renaissance Hotel, the, and they... Uh, uh, they, they like it a lot, so that, that just went out today. Uh, and we also have a Mexican lager that we got, we're getting ready to keg early next week to get ready for Cinco de Mayo. That's another, that's another beer that we're playing around with. Excellent, and that's a style that's really picking up, I've noticed, at craft breweries. A lot of people are doing Mexican lagers mm -hmm. now. Or any kind of lager. I think lagers are, are, and pilsners and stuff are slowly making a comeback. Yeah, and it's, it, it's interesting that you say it's for Cinco de Mayo. I was in Mexico last year for Cinco de Mayo. I, they have no idea what it is. <laughs> I, well, they do where I was. Yeah. I, I booked a super cheap flight to Mexico City because that's the weekend we could go. And then uh, with a couple of friends, and we realized we were going to be there for Cinco de Mayo. And we thought, no, they don't celebrate that there, do they? But the one place they celebrate it is Puebla, Mexico. And it is not a crazy drinking holiday like it is here in the States but it is in fact the original Cinco de Mayo and they celebrate uh, a battle that was fought um, and a huge victory for this ragtag Mexican army. And it was amazing. It was a family friendly festival. They have a huge military parade that lasted uh, close to two hours. Wow. I think every type of Mexican military vehicle and soldier was in that parade and dancers and floats and there was a carnival in town and it was just this huge carnival atmosphere throughout town. It was really cool. But I definitely had my share of Mexican lagers while I was yeah. there. So that's the, that's the part of me the type of Mexican travel that I like. I mean, a lot of people go to like Cancun, they go to uh, you know, some of the resorty type places and they, and they kind of just stay in these sterile uh, resorts and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, like, you don't see Mexico at all. Yeah, you I, see a resort that could be the same as if it was in California, or yeah, so <laughs> except I, they have more margaritas. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like the kind of the old, dirty Mexican towns. Like uh, I don't know if Pueblo was like that. Sounds like it might. Well, not, not really dirty, but like old and not, yeah, to, not touristy. Was, we definitely did not see very many tourists. Mm -hmm. um, it was a very modern, very clean city. It was. It's a. I think the third biggest city in Mexico, mm -hmm. which the three of us who traveled there had never heard of before yeah. 
we booked the trip there, but it was a great place, and I, I continue to recommend to family travelers that I know that yeah. they should absolutely go there for Cinco de Mayo, and it's an amazing family-friendly nice. area. So my favorite was, is uh, Guadalajara and Valladolid. Valladolid is a little, little town out, uh, about maybe a few miles away from Chichen Itza. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's really, I mean, I was it's- I going to say, I, I don't even know where that is. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's, not it's, it's, it's near a big tourist site, but the town is not touristy at all. But it's a beautiful Sweet. little town square. It's got some old uh, colonial style buildings around it. And, and it's because a, no one ever gets that far. They yeah. stop at the pyramids and then they and go back to go Cancun, back to Cancun or yeah. wherever <laughs> they were staying. My Mexican travel is actually pretty sad for being this close. I, I've been to 49 countries now, and my first trip to Mexico was last year oh. for Cinco de Mayo. That's still pretty so, impressive. 49 countries, uh, that's, you got me beat. That's the life of a, a travel blogger, I think. Oh. <laughs> the life of a, I, a freelance writer for travel, um, and I, I got heavily into airline miles and hotel points years ago, hence the name of the podcast, Miles and Pints is kind of a play on that Miles and Points, but I've, I've been blessed to have the experience in a lot, a lot of travel. Um, and a lot of that travel involves me finding the local beers. And I know mm -hmm. you've done quite a bit of travel yourself. You said you haven't been to quite as many countries as me, but in just our talking before this, you mentioned several places that you've been. Are there any places that stand out in your mind as the, just amazing beer culture or someplace that you would travel if you want to have some great beers. And that can be international, that can be within the states. We talked about Columbus earlier. I know their their craft brew scene is just exploding in Columbus. Yeah, I mean, as far as beer culture, uh, I, I pretty much have to stay in the United States. So yeah, you, uh, Ohio is having a, uh, a bit of a renaissance in, in craft beer some great breweries in Columbus and Cincinnati and even you know my home Dayton area has some good ones uh, and when my old job working in the commercial fishing industry it, I was in the Pacific Northwest uh, Oregon Washington State and Alaska so of course there's some you know great breweries out that way so and of course you know Colorado yeah, I mean, and California you can't you know miss those but uh but as far as overseas there's not a whole lot uh, but you do get some interesting beers you know at, at a lot of different places you know I, I think uh, the beers in, you know, Southeast Asia are always, you know, they're just really, they're basically adjunct lagers, but they're, uh, they're just super refreshing and they're super cheap. And, and you uh, can tell when you're having one. It's, yeah. uh, we were just recently uh, in French Polynesia. We, my wife and I went for spring break and I had the one brewery on Tahiti. It, they brew a beer called Hanano. And when I had my first one, my wife said, how was that beer? And I said, it was exactly like it should be. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is what this beer should taste like. Is it, if I have a choice between that and the craft beers that you guys are serving, am I going to choose it? No, absolutely not. But if I'm there on that island and having a beer, that's what I want. Because yeah, yeah. that's the way it should taste. Because you, you can't really drink the water in most countries. So, I mean, so how are you going to stay hydrated so when it's a thousand degrees outside? Yeah. Yeah, and I know when I was in Cambodia a couple of years the ago. Anchor beer? That, yeah, but the, in Siem Reap, we went to a couple of places, and I think we went for breakfast to the one place, and their happy hour was from 9 a.m. till 10 p.m., mm -hmm. and it was 50-cent beers. And I, I mean, if you give me a beer for 50 cents, it doesn't have to be the best beer. No, it if doesn't. it's cold or, I, I don't know, sometimes even a, a lukewarm beer. <laughs> 
it's it's perfect for that place, and it's you get the same kind of style in the Caribbean. A lot of the beers yeah, taste see, the same, but yeah. it's what you expect when you go to the Caribbean. Yeah, Siem Reap was cool. I, I I enjoyed visiting that place. Did you go to Phnom Penh too? We did not. We we kind of bounced around on that trip. We started in Hong Kong, and then we went up to uh, Chiang Mai. Uh, yeah, Chiang Mai, Thailand, cool. which was really cool. And then we went down to Siem Reap, and then we were yeah. out of time. Yeah, we, Cambodia is fascinating because you your your two big tourist draws are Siem Reap for the temples of Angkor and and Phnom Penh because it's the capital, and it's also where they they had the uh, uh, ethnic cleansings and the Khmer Rouge and all that yeah. stuff. So there's some history there, but it's extraordinarily sad, horrifying history. Uh, but there's some cool monuments, some cool histories, if that's, that's your thing. But, but like between the two, because if you, if you go to, you're going to hit them both. So it's Temples of Anchor, which is a monument to, you know, the best of what humanity is capable of, as far as like architecture and art and everything like that. Yeah. And then Phnom Penh is a representation of the biggest horrors that humanity are capable of. Yeah, so you want to do that one first. If you're planning a trip to these two places, go to, go to Siem Reap and go to Angkor Wat second because it will help cheer you up. Yeah. Because, like you said, it's I did very... the opposite. <laughs> but uh, when, you also know they, they do love uh, Angelina Jolie over there. Yeah, absolutely. We took our picture in front of the spot at the temples where they filmed uh, that movie, where they filmed some of the scenes from Tomb Raider. And, yeah, it was everyone knew that's the spot and that's where this was. And, of course, we're tourists, so... We took our picture with the kids and mm -hmm. <laughs> moved on our way. And then I think our favorite temple, I, I forget the name of it, but it was one of the lesser known ones. And we, uh, we liked it better because it wasn't as touristy and there weren't as many people there and our kids could run around. And uh, it was just absolutely as beautiful as the other places, maybe not quite as well restored or quite as well kept up, but it was really cool to visit. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit about traveling and beer. Let's get back to the brewery for just a little bit and then we'll wrap up here. Um, I'll start out with, this is a, a question I ask all the breweries, is there a beer that the customers love but you yourself do not and you just don't understand why they love it? I, I think for us, it would probably be the blood orange wheat. Um, I don't know why customers enjoy it, but it's, I mean, it's just not my thing. It's a, it's a little, little too sweet for me. And there's a, and a lot of beers, there's a lot of the beers that I, that I make that are quite a bit on the sweet side, I can't drink them. They're, I mean, but there are certain customers that love a sweet beer, whether it's a sweet IPA, a, a sweet stout, a, a sweet fruity beer. It's, I, mean, it, I mean, they sell well and I enjoy making them, but I, I don't always enjoy drinking them. Drinking. Yeah. So end of a, a long brewing day, what is it that you're pouring yourself a glass of? I'm, I'm usually drinking the lager uh, because okay. it's... I'm Nice and I, simple. And, and it's refreshing. Refined. Yeah, and it's one of our lowest alcohol beers. So if I need to kind of stick around and talk to people, you know, I can actually still be mildly coherent even if I've had a couple. <laughs> so. And that's helpful when you're representing the company yes. and you may have to do some, make some business decisions. Plus I'm getting kind of fat, so uh, I need to kind of you know, watch my calories. Yeah, beer can do that too. Yes, I, I've, I've had that problem myself. So we'll finish out with kind of a fun question that I like to ask. There's, there's two questions I kind of ask at the end of these. One is why do so many brewers have beards? And you've got a little bit of a stubble. I've got a goatee, but... Um, the one I'll go with here is the craft beer community is generally very friendly. I know when I 
planned this trip to Dallas. I reached out to you guys. I reached out to a, a couple other breweries and everybody got back to me and everyone is like, yeah, come on in, come, let's talk. We have no idea who you are, but we'll chat with you. Sure. Um, do you think that it's just made up of friendly people or do you just think that everyone's buzzed all the time? It could be the buzz thing. Uh, I think beer as a whole, it's, uh, it's the, it, it, it helps people open up. Even people who are normally you know, introverted and stuff like that, it, I mean, it, it gets you talking. And of course, people who are extroverted and love to talk, it makes them talk even more. And louder uh, often. Yeah, so it, it kind of lubricates the tongue, I guess, so to speak. And, uh, but also at the same time, you know, the people who start a brewery, they, they do it, and this is one of the reasons we do it, and it's, it's part of our tagline, you know, it's our nature to brew in the name. So Hoppenstein Brewing Company is, you know, uh, it's an homage to the fable of the scorpion and the frog. And, you know, it, and the kind of the, the, the big phrase at the end where the lessons was uh, the scorpion stings the frog because it's in his nature. He does it because even though he knew it was going to be bad for him, it's, he does it anyways. And so, John, you know, so it's, we don't want to do anything else. And we, we want to be in a brewery, so we, we don't want to be in an office. We don't want to be, have a nine to five job like everybody else. Does. So, you know, even though we do work hard, we have long hours, it's, we're doing what we want to do. We're dressing how we want to dress. So, and I think people who start breweries are all kind of like that. We don't want to do anything else. We want to be in a brewery, even if we're not making any money. Uh, I think I saw that you, you, you've worked for some breweries before as well. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I work part, very part-time for a very, very small yeah. brewery you, in Falls Church. But you're probably aware that, you know, wages aren't huge. No, uh, so I don't, when they nobody, hired... Nobody's getting rich. Even, even the owners, uh, unless you're one of the ones that sell out, you're, you're not getting rich even as an owner. So it's, you do it because you love it. And then, with, so when people... Yeah, when they, when they hired me, they, we went through my background, which is oddly perfect for craft brewing, other than the fact that I hadn't actually brewed, but I, I had all the rest of the background that you would want. And the first thing that the owner said to me was, yeah, we can't pay you what you should be getting. And I said, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I, I'm not here for a paycheck. I'm here you, to have you're, fun. You're, heard, said, yeah, you're, you're, even the, the hard work is fun in, in a lot of ways. And yeah, granted, yeah, it can be a grind and it can be tough, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're here because we want to have fun. You know, we, we want to meet new people. We want to have, so, so folks like yourself who call us up, want to do a podcast or something like that, talk about beer. It's, you know, it's, it's something we enjoy. It's, it's meeting new people and having fun and making friends with our fellow brewers at other breweries. There's always opportunities to collaborate and, and just continue to be creative. You know, like new styles don't come about because, you know, someone is hiding in the corner, you know, just making stuff up. A lot of it comes about because breweries are talking to each other. They're, or they're, we're talking to customers who've been at a, a other places and they tell us, like, well, I had this great beer. Can you do something like it? Well, you might not, but since you don't have it, you got to basically just think of how to make it based off of what someone tells you. So that's, so you, the creative juices get flowing just, and you, and you can't do that unless you talk to people. Yeah, and that's a great way that the industry can progress and new styles. I, I feel like every year there's a new style that I've never heard of that then starts getting picked up by different breweries. And it, it's great to see craft beer flourishing in this country and, and starting to pick up in a lot of countries around the world. So before we close out, uh, can you just remind everyone where they can find you guys as far as uh, your web address, social media, actual address? If they want to try your beers or get in contact with you, where can they find you? 
Uh, so our, our website is, is very simple. It's www.hopandsting.com. And is spelled out. Uh, so it's H-O-P-A-N-D-S-T-I-N-G. Uh, we, we're on Instagram. We're on uh, Facebook. I think we're working on Twitter. So you can, you can reach us social media in those places. Uh, or we have info email that if you need to email us, contact us, that you, you can do it there. And as far as finding our beers, you can get our beers at, at most uh, big package stores in North Texas so, and, uh, and in South Texas, so uh, Austin, San Antonio areas. So if you go to a Total Wine uh, or a Specs, you, you have, it's a good shot, you'll find us. Quite a few, we're quite a few independent stores, so like locally we have Grapevine Beer and Wine. Uh, they're, they're one of our more loyal customers. And, uh, and we're at you know, various bars and restaurants, growler fill stations, you know, all over the Metroplex. It makes me wonder if I can get my uh, local Total Wine stores in Virginia to start pulling some of your stuff in. They have, uh, uh, they yeah. have stuff from all over, so you never yeah. know. Yeah, we, we might start talking to some distributors out there if, that, if that's the case, but you know, we're open to those ideas. All right, well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. I know I, I mentioned we're canning. We can hear the forklift behind us right now, so there's a lot going on here. So thanks so much for taking time out of your day. Again, uh, Brian Burton with Hop and Sting Brewing Company here in Grapevine, Texas. If you're in the area, definitely stop by and check them out. It's a great facility. The beer I've had so far is amazing, and uh, they're very friendly, great to talk to. Thanks for being here, Brian. Uh, thank you for coming. I hope you enjoyed that quick conversation with Brian Burton of Hop and Sting Brewing Company. Remember, if you want to come try these beers for yourself, you have to make your way to Grapevine, Texas. Grapevine is a suburb of Dallas, and Hop and Sting is actually located just a few minutes away from DFW Airport. Talk about a great spot to spend a long layover. All of the important points and links that we talked about in today's episode will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything there that you missed the first time through. And that's all we have today for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of the new episodes we have coming down the line. Also, tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy too. Until next time, safe travels! Happy drinking, and cheers. We'll see you in the tap room. We traveled the world from near to far. We traveled by plane, boat, train, car. We like to drink local wherever we go. We'll have a cold beer in the sun or the snow. Through with the crew
sound. <laughs>